Hello. Can you hold on one moment? With sure. all the time you waste watching football, you could have actually done something around here. Is this a bad time, Phyllis? Oh, no, not at all. Is this about my creative memories order again? Talk about money. How about your big dish TV and your expanded sports tier on cable and your big 12 pay-per-view ridiculousness? Compared to you, I don't spend anything. I'm sorry, Ginger. What were you saying? You just have to see how my scrapbook turned out. I have to do something to fill my time. You're always too busy watching the game to spend time with me. And when I was done, it was simply precious. When can you come on? Well, at least Ginger actually cares about what's going on in my life. Well, I've got to go. Hey, good morning. Our, our series is called, and it's stuff that we don't talk about. And today's, today's statement probably wouldn't be something that you would talk about unless you had a really, really good friend that you could trust. Now, you need to know that today we're not talking about couples that are going off the edge. We're talking about good people who haven't said the D word, at least seriously, to each other. It's just that if you had a friend you could talk to, really close friend, who you knew wouldn't betray your heart and betray your secrets and would really care and maybe give you good advice, you might go to Starbucks over a cup of coffee, warm up the conversation, and then finally say, you know, we fight too much. Some of the best people in the world fight too much. In fact, you could take whatever the best couple here is, I don't know who that couple would be. I'm going to just guess it might be Mary Allison and me because I love our marriage. But I can guarantee you, if you caught us on the wrong day, we would fight too much. Well, let me tell you what a fight is. It's not differences. See, a lot of people have the idea that a difference is tantamount to a fight, but it's not the case. All of us have differences. You, you can, I mean, if, if you're in a relationship, whether we're talking about a boy-girl relationship or a coworker relationship, parent-child relationship, just any human relationship you want to pull out of the box here, we're going to have differences. You know, people want to find somebody who's just like themselves. I got to tell you this, my worst nightmare, when I think about my marriage, my worst nightmare is to have found somebody just like me. I want to tell you, there would probably be somebody in prison if I had found somebody who was just like me, because I don't, I don't need someone like me. I need someone who brings to the table what I don't bring. And that's wonderful. The only issue with that is, is that we, we, we discover our differences, and those differences raise questions. Now, during, for those of you who are dating tonight, today, you could say, well, Mark, now, you need to understand, we have a relationship that may be different from any you've ever seen before. We don't disagree on anything. Let me tell you the facts of life. <laughs> You're dating right now. I mean, for one thing, we look for common ground during that time. We put on our best behavior, and we mute differences that we are concerned about. But after you get married or after you get into a committed relationship and you're engaged, stuff just starts to pop up, and you say, hey, I don't know what's wrong with this guy, but he just doesn't think right. I know he doesn't think right because he doesn't see things like I see them. Now, difference is no problem, but here's the problem. When you add to differences human nature, suddenly it becomes a toxic cocktail, and we start fighting, hopefully not physically, but we start presenting our case in a way <clears throat> where there's antagonism and certainly a, a thing of competition. And if these fights go on, if they're continuous, if they're prolonged, they can really do damage to the relationship. So today, I want to take this on and bring you a talk on we fight too much. 
Now, what I'd like to do from the very beginning is I would like to take you to a scripture because let me explain to you what I, what I mean by this particular scripture. Some of you could come in here today and say, Mark, when I saw your topic, I thought it doesn't really relate to me because I'm single or I'm not in a relationship like you're probably going to be thinking about boy-girl relationship. So this isn't going to really apply to me. What I want to do is I want to give you a story about two men who got into a conflict who were just co-workers, but they were incredible people, great men. In fact, I would argue that the two guys in our story are two of the greatest human beings who ever lived. And yet, by the end of this story, they're going to have such a bad fight that they never work together again. And it's all in the Bible. Let me tell you the f- name of one of these people. You'll, you'll recognize him from the beginning. And that's, his name is Paul. When you open up your Bible and go to the New Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, 13 at least of the New Testament books were written by this guy named Paul. So he is a legend. In fact, I would say outside of Jesus Christ, he was the most influential follower of Jesus who ever lived three missionary journeys, started churches all over the world. Even today, we name our boys. My, middle, my, my, my youngest son has Paul for a middle name. And it's, he's just a legend, a great guy, and somebody that we look up to. The second guy in our story is a guy named Barnabas. His very name means the son of comfort or the son of consolation. Do you know anybody in your life, maybe you're this way, do you know anybody in your life that just makes everybody feel comfortable? I mean, it, they just have a way about them. If, if they're in a room full of people or whatever, they'll just go around and make everybody feel welcomed and warmed. I mean, just the very thought. I'm thinking of somebody in my life right now that I just love it when he comes to town because he just has this grace about him. They don't have a mean bone in their body. I mean, they're just the most loving, kind people. Well, if you can imagine that person, you're knowing Barnabas. His very name means the guy who brings comfort. And these two guys have a history together. You know, many of you who know your Bibles, you know that this great man, Paul, who was so influential, didn't start off as a God follower. In fact, right after Jesus went back to heaven and the church got started, Paul was the leader of persecution of Christians. In fact, he was the main prosecutor in the city of Jerusalem whose chief purpose it was to stamp out Christianity from the world. He hated Jesus. He hated Jesus' followers. He would go to towns with open arrest warrants, and he would arrest men and women, take them off to prison, oversee their persecution. In fact, one of the young pastors in the first church had already been executed. Stephen was executed, and Paul was the one who signed off on his execution. In those days, his name wasn't Paul. He was called Saul. God later changed his name to Paul. But anyway... If you know your Bible, you know that one day this man that we know as Paul was on his way to arrest Christians when all of a sudden Jesus made a post-resurrection appearance to him, knocked him off his, you know, the power of Christ knocked him off the, the donkey that he was riding. Paul lay there on the ground, realized he was on the wrong side of things, and he committed his life to Jesus. The only issue is at this point, there are a lot of God followers who have been hiding from this man. They had heard all kinds of awful things about him, which were all true. And the next thing you know, this guy Paul is showing up at a church service saying, hey, I'm a Jesus follower. Let me give you an illustration. Suppose one day you you came in to worship here, and next thing you know, you look around, and there is Osama bin Laden, robes, beard, and all. You just saw him walk in, and you think, man, there is Osama bin Laden at New Spring. And Osama bin Laden says, I have now accepted Jesus Christ. I'd like for you to accept me. Now, keep it real. Just keep it real with me. A lot of us would say, I don't know about that. How many of us would invite him to sit on our row? <laughs> well, that's what happened to Paul because he went to the church and nobody wanted to have I mean, he looked around and he was doing this to make sure everything was all right because nobody would sit with him. It was Barnabas 
who went over and sat with Paul and said, hi, Paul, my name is Barnabas, and tell me your story. And he made friends with Barnabas, and it was Barnabas who took Paul by the arm and brought him to the other Christ followers in the church and said, hey, this guy's for real. So they had a wonderful history together. And as the church began to grow and progress, Paul and Barnabas actually became part of the staff. And there was this great dream team of staff at this particular church. But there was a moment where God said, hey, I want to break up the dream team, and I want to take two guys, and instead of them being here in the local church, I want to send them out as missionaries. And guess which two guys God picked? He picked Paul and Barnabas. And again, I use the term dream team. You want to think about a dream team. Can you imagine this dream team of first missionaries, Paul with his scintillating intellect, powers of of communication, powers to convince people, and Barnabas who just loved people to God. They They were the dynamic duo. Well, you would think that these two guys would never have any conflict with each other. After all, they're great Christians. You know, many of us have the idea that the people in the Bible had halos around their heads and they just never had any issues. I'm glad to know that they were like you and me. When you read this with me, you're going to see that. Acts 15 verse 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. Fire this away. Mark is Barnabas's nephew. Paul disagreed strongly since Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they, what? They separated. Can you imagine that? Two of the greatest human beings who ever lived, and yet the contention between them was so sharp that as far as we know, they never worked together again. Well, could I just walk you through the evolution of this conflict? Because I think it's going to resonate with a lot of us who fight too much with the people we love. First of all, it started with differences. I mean, the Bible says that. It says Paul disagreed. There's nothing wrong with having differences, and differences are not necessarily conflict. If your marriage, if your family relationships, if your coworker relationships, if they exist in a climate of peace, you can certainly still share your differences. In fact, I would make the argument that when there's a climate of peace, it's easiest to share your differences. There was nothing wrong with these two guys having a different point of view. I mean, Paul looked at Mark and said, I don't want this guy with me before. He's a quitter. He flamed out on us, and I don't want him with me. Barnabas, on the other hand, with his loving care, could say, well, I think we ought to give him another chance. Nothing wrong with those two guys. Let me take you to the next thing I don't want to show you about this conflict, because here's the deal. And, and, and this is the big challenge that I've got in this, in this message today. Many of us, when we think about conflict resolution, we think about it in very earthly terms. What I'm going to show you today, and this is what's going to be the high hill for me to climb and for you as you listen to this message, God doesn't look at this like you and I look at it. If you and I fight too much with the people we love, I promise you, you're my answer that we would normally come to, even if it's a pragmatic, practical answer, our answer is going to be very different from from God's answer. Because let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. When you and I think about fighting too much, if I think about too many conflicts with Mary Alice, here's my question. I want to know who's right. Because in my mind, whoever's right should carry the moment. See, that's, that's what we tend to look at. How can we come to the conclusion of knowing who is right? Well, it is important to take the best course in any situation. You know what interests me about this story and has all my years as a communicator? is that God does not give us a hint at which one of these guys was right. 
I have no idea. I mean, if you held a gun on me today and said, okay, Mark, you've got retrospect, which Paul and Barnabas didn't have at this moment. Who was right? I don't know. I've, I've argued it both ways. Let me tell you why. I mean, my mind goes with Paul. I mean, if you depend upon a quitter, it's not a smart idea. I mean, a lot of you are in HR, a lot of you in management. You know the last thing you want on your team is somebody who can't be counted on when things get tough. From what we can learn historically about Mark, Mark seems to be a tenderfoot. He grew up a, a young man of privilege. His mom was well-to-do. Mark had grown up with a pretty easy life. And my, my gut is, I don't know this, but my gut is that, you know, when, when God called out Paul and Barnabas, this dream team, everybody in the church got buzzing about that and said, wow, isn't this going to be great? And I don't know if Mark just wanted to see the world or if he didn't have any idea how difficult real life was. Mark went, but he got not very far, and he said, hey, this is not for me, and he left. So my mind goes with Paul. But then on the other hand, when I look at what happened eventually with Mark, it makes me wonder if maybe Barnabas was right. You know, when you, you and I, this is not what my talk is about today, I guess. You and I are sometimes too careful to write people off, aren't we? You know, we're, we're, sometimes we forget about how many times people have taken a chance on us. And I think sometimes we're too quick to write people off. Paul said, I don't want Mark around me. And, and I'm just putting two and two together because I know how life works. My guess is that Mark at that moment was a pariah in the early church. I think there were a lot of people in the church that gossiped about him and said, there's the guy who broke up the dream team. And I mean, people looked at him and whatever prestige he might have had in the church, it evaporated. But along came Simon Peter. Remember him? He was the one who cursed and denied Jesus three times, and everybody gave up on Peter. And from what we can tell in church history, it was Peter who went to Mark, put his arm around him, and said, Hey, Mark, I know everybody's down on you right now, but there was a time when everybody was down on me, and I came back, and you can come back. And Paul, Peter said to Mark, You just come and work with me. And from that moment on, Mark began to flourish. When you open up your New Testament and you get to the second book of the New Testament, the title is Mark. It was written by this young man. In fact, it was the first book written in the New Testament. The very first story of Jesus was written by this guy named Mark. And at the end of Paul's life, Paul would give some instructions. And one of the instructions he gave was, would you bring Mark to me because I need Mark. My whole point of, of all this narrative is just to say, I don't know who was right. You know, sometimes you and I can get into a fight with somebody we love the most, and it's not so important who's right. The conflict itself can become bigger than anything else. Well, the third thing we see in this conflict as we're following the evolution of it is it turned personal. That's one of the problems that we have when we fight with the people we love the most. We get off the subject and things turn personal. The language of our, of our narrative here says that it turns sharp. You know, as long as our differences have dull, soft edges, we're okay. It's when those differences turn sharp. And we start throwing insults. And we start calling names. And we start saying things that are calculated to do damage. And evidently, that's what happened with this. Okay, every man and woman in a committed relationship right now this next one is going to be huge. This is a mountain peak, okay? When in the middle of their conflict, in the middle of this fight, Paul and Barnabas lost sight of two things. Now, I got to tell you this. I thought about the, the conflicts that I've had with Mary Alice, and it tracked with me because I thought in the heat of the conflict, I too have forgotten these things. Number one, they forgot their past history. They forgot that these two guys had a relationship. 
They, he, they forgot that and Paul clearly, when Paul was so angry at Barnabas, don't you think he forgot that moment when Barnabas came over to him when nobody else would talk to him? Don't you wonder if at that moment when Paul is so angry at Barnabas and it was so sharp, what if Paul at that moment had thought, you know, there was a moment when everybody gave up on me and Barnabas came over and talked to me. They might have still disagreed. I just don't think it would have turned sharp. So number one, they forgot their past. How many times, guys and gals, do we get into an argument with somebody that we love the most and we're saying things and we're, we have expressions on our face that reveal that we have forgotten about all the kind things that the other person has done for us? Second thing they forgot was they forgot they had a future together. You know, I, I imagine, what, what could these two have done if they'd stayed together? With, with what each one of these people brought, what if they had stayed together? And sometimes when we get into an argument with a person that we love, we forget that we have a future together because right now we're so locked in. God knows I hate this expression. It certainly doesn't come from Christianity. In the moment, I hate that expression about as much as I hate any expression in the English language. Because a lot of times we don't need to be in the moment. We need to be taking the long look. We need to be looking down the road and saying, hey, it isn't just my point of view and her point of view. We need to consider our relationship and the future that we have together. Next thing that I see about this particular conflict is we're just ticking off what happened here is it doesn't seem that anybody offered any creative solutions. You know, they were just, hey, we're, you know, we're, we're going to fisticuffs here. I don't know if they really did that. But, but do you see anything here about saying, well, what if, what if we took Mark with us for 90 days? Or, or what, if we, you know, what if we did this or what if we did that? Nobody seems to be offering a creative solution. It's either this way, my way, or the highway. And then finally, you saw what I saw, separation. Now, guys, I don't think God wants you and me to follow that pattern. Let me take a time out for a moment. If you're here this morning and, and in your relationship, you're saying, Mark, we really fight too much. I need to let you know where I'm going with this sermon and where I'm not going. Um, it, could, it could very well be that you and the person that you love very much need to go to counseling. And counseling is a wonderful thing. Counseling can teach you a lot of practical things. And so I would encourage you, if you're fighting too much and it's beginning to hinder your relationship, you need to seriously consider Christian counseling and talking to someone who's a professional in this area. And then the second thing is there are a lot of practical solutions, a lot of practical steps that you can take to deal with conflict and conflict resolution. But in my talk today, I'm not going to go to either one of those places. I want to just take us to what God has to say about this issue. And, and just to get some overarching principles from God that I really believe when you walk out of here today, I mean, if you're fighting over a particular subject, it may not resolve that situation. And I may not give you a lot of practical things to do if you're in the middle of a fight, but I want to tell you this, if you and I will employ what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes, it will transform our relationships, and you'll be surprised at how many conflicts it'll just keep from happening in the first place. Let's just start with this. Before I give you any suggestions, could I just say that it is not God's will for us to have conflicts and fights. God is a God of peace. How many of us in relationships back off and take a panoramic view and say, I want peace in this relationship? I don't think a lot of us do that. The goal here is peace. See, here's, here's my issue, and I don't know, maybe this won't resonate with anybody else here. I am the most competitive person you have ever seen in your life. I'm quite possibly the most competitive person on the planet. 
I love competition. It just, man, it makes me salivate. And, and through the years, I don't know why I'm this way. I always, if I can get people, I want people to underestimate me, and then I want to fall like a ton of bricks. That's, that's just who I am. And I've wrestled with that, and I've struggled with that all my life. <clears throat> and it's not just winning. I like competition. I love, and of course it is winning too, but I love competition. Now here's what I've discovered in, in my life, in the conflicts that I've had with Mary Alice through the years, and thankfully, there are not many anymore. But there was a time in our relationship, it was competitive, and there are no pastels in my personality. I'm the most intense human being you've ever seen too. I can't honestly say that the purpose of my conflict was for the best course of action to prevail. I wanted to win. And honestly, I think that's the case with a lot of us. We want to win. How many, how many times do you get in a conflict with somebody? You don't even remember what it was, but I still got to win. Now, here's what's wrong with that. If I'm even thinking that way, I have lost sight of the fact God's will for Mary Alice and me is peace. God's will for me raising my kids is peace. God's will for Mark and the people that I work with is peace. Isn't that, isn't that, first of all, a good place to go? I mean, when you look at your husband, look at your wife, look at your kids, look at your parents, I mean, you just got to say, hey, I'm a God follower. God's not a God of conflict. God is a God of peace. Listen, if there's one thing we learn from this book, God will go to the extreme to keep from having conflict. In fact, what does the Bible tell us that salvation is? The Bible says it is peace with God. The very first book that Billy Graham wrote was Peace with God. That is God's will. God wants you to have a peaceful relationship with him, and he wants us to be at peace with each other. In fact, the Bible calls God the God of peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. I, gotta, I, gotta, I can tell I'm going too slow through this message, so we're going to speed it up. I'm going to go to about 240 words a minute here, okay, because we've got a lot of stuff to cover. It, the series of the year, and you know how I am. I'm always telling you the next series is going to be the biggest series I've ever done. But I've been saying this all year long. The series of the year is in October and November. It's called Bless You, and it's all about blessing, the ground rules of blessing. I, got, I've just, I cannot wait to get started on the series. I'm going to read a verse to you that in October and November, this verse is going to become very important to us. I'm not going to explain why today, but I just want you to hear this. In Psalm 133, the Bible says, How wonderful, how beautiful, when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil. It's like a perfumed oil that would fill the, fill the house with fragrance. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Let me, let me just tell you this. This may be more than you want to know, but Hermon is the tallest mountain in Palestine. It's in the middle of a desert. But interestingly, there's always a cloud on top of Mount Hermon because there's snow on top of it. And that snow condenses. And even though there not, may not be another cloud in the sky, there's a cloud over Mount Hermon. And even though there may be desert everywhere else, there's foliage on the slopes of Hermon because that dew comes down. And this is what God is saying. That's where God, in verse 3, it says, yes, that's where God commands the blessing. See, the Bible says peace between people is like sweet perfume. And it's like blessing and, and benefit where there's not benefit anywhere else. Well, somebody could say, well, Mark, that's nice, but we still fight too much. Well, let's just take a moment before I give you some practical suggestions, and let's ask the question, why? What is it we fight about? Now, now I didn't ask you why we have differences, because differences, that's pretty simple. But why do we fight? Why do we go from just sharing our differences to fighting? 
Well, you could say, well, Mark, it's easy. My husband's a jerk. I know the answer to that question. That's a two-inch pot. Or, Mark, that's easy. My wife's just like her mother. I mean, that's just why. It's not what God says. You ready for this? James 4, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? A lot of us think they just happen. But God's just saying, you think these just come out of nowhere? They come about because you want your own way. No, it doesn't. It comes because I'm right. And I can't let the moment pass. You just got to stand up for what you... And God said, no, Mark, they come because you want your own way. Well, here's my issue with that. If I'm going to talk back to God, I'm going to say, no, wait a minute, God. It's not just because I want my own way. I need my ideas to prevail because, see, God, I am right. And if Mary Alice will just come to see that I'm right, everything is going to be wonderful. It's going to be right. I mean, see, that's how we think. We think, I fight with my husband because I'm right and he's wrong. And if he will just see it, we can live in that perfect world. Okay, we're going to get tested to see if we can believe God or not because the Bible says in James 3, whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart. That can't be true, can it? God is saying, I get into conflict with Mary Alice because I want my own way, and if I was able to get my own way, things would fall apart. And everyone ends up at each other's throats. See, God's challenging you and me to think differently. And on top of that, if you're talking about a boy-girl thing, if you're talking about a man-woman thing, we got another thing working because right after Adam and Eve sinned, God said to Eve, now that sin is under the world, this is in Genesis 3.16, he said to Eve, you're going to desire to control your husband, he's going to control you. So in other words, God said because sin in the world, there's going to be this conflict among the sexes and both of you are going to be bucking and fighting for dominance. And that's why God says that when you try to get the better of others, things fall apart. Okay. You didn't come this morning to hear me just talk about the problem, did you? How do we deal with this? How can we learn with it? I'm not a list person, but if you want to take notes, I want to give you six things, and these things are huge, and I've got very short time, so we're going to bust through these real fast. How do we deal with conflict and resolving conflict from God's perspective? Here's the first thing. We have to train our minds to think differently. This is so big, wish you knew how to preach, because if I did, I'd explain this, but I'm going to take a crack at it. So many of us, and by the way, it's it's a good thing to learn practical strategies for resolving conflict. So many of us think, if I can just learn how to work with conflict in the middle of conflict, I'm going to be okay. There is benefit to that. But here's, here's where it starts, folks. You have to become a different person. Not during the conflict. You have to become a different person before the conflict starts. Because if you and I go into the conflict with the kinds of things that we've talked about already... We can try all kinds of practical things that are not going to work for us. So what we have to do is we have to, number one, think, begin to think differently about the relationship and who we are in this relationship. You can't wait till a conflict comes up to deal with it. And I want to give you three verses that are really important to me, and you can just write these coordinates down and read these later on, but let me just give you these verses because they're huge. Romans 12, verse 18 says, if it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. It says, don't take revenge. God will, God will see to that. So here's the first thing. If it's possible, live at peace. Now, that would mean I would have to become very different. God is saying, don't go into this thinking, what is, 
what is the minimum here? What is the, what's the minimum amount that I'm going to take before I go off the edge? God is saying, no, you got to think about it the other way. God is saying, go to the extreme. Go as far as you can go. For those of you who've been in conflicts and you fight too much, i got to ask you a question. Isn't it true you could have gone a little further? Isn't it true you could have demonstrated a little more patience? Isn't it true you could have waited a little longer? Isn't it true you could have assumed the best motives a little bit more? God is saying, as much as is possible. And he indicates there's a point where you just, you, you got to deal with something. But he says, as much as possible, set your course to live at peace. Number two, second verse, Romans 14, verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual, here's the, here's the expression, mutual edification. Going back to conflict, when we get into a conflict with somebody, it's their side and your side, and who's going to win? But God is saying, don't go into it like that. Go into it thinking, how can both of us win? How can both of us get what we need out of this? Go into it, what leads to peace, and what leads to mutual edification? And then Colossians 3, verse 15. Somebody could say, well, Mark, the challenge that we have in our relationship is who decides who's right? Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule. The word rule there means umpire, arbitrate. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since, and the Bible says one, one more time, you recall to peace. Now here's the thing. Waiting till you get into an argument with the person you love is way too late to think about these things. You and I have to proactively become a different person. We have to become a person of peace. We have to determine ahead of time that we are going to be the kind of people that just go as far as we can possibly go in order that peace can be in our home. You say, Mark, if I did that, the other person might take advantage of me. Probably. But you've got a God who will take care of you. I mean, after all, it's peace in the relationship, not winning the point that matters. Here's the second thing. This is probably my favorite. You and I need to plant seeds of peace in every relationship that we have. Let me read a, this verse to you again. You've, you've already seen part of it. James 3, verse 16. Wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is, first, first of all, pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. Shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. And this I have in red in my notes. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of rightness. Now, I bet, I'd be willing to bet next week's lunch money that most of us had no idea I was going to go here with this talk. Because if you heard the talk was going to be about conflict resolution, you're probably thinking Mark's going to talk to us about what to do when we get into a conflict. This is nothing about that. This is what to do before you get into a conflict so you won't get into them. But this is this is a solid goal. I know that a lot of you drive halfway across the state to come to church here. What I'm going to share with you right now is worth driving however far you had to come to get here today. God wants us to think so differently that we think every day about planting seeds of peace. The more seeds of peace you plant, the more you're going to have a climate and a harvest of peace, and the fewer conflicts you're going to have. What are seeds of peace? Well, the Bible spells it out for us. Number one, it's mercy. You say, Mark, my wife doesn't deserve for me to be kind to her. Well, did you see the word mercy? <laughs> Duh. You say, well, Mark, my husband is just a difficult man. Well, yeah, I know. 
And you say, well, you know, I, I, you know I'm going to be merciful today, but I, I'm, I, don't think he'll, I don't think he'll respond to it. Did you see the word seeds? When you plant seeds, you don't necessarily get a harvest that day. Mercy. How many of us, guys, it starts with us. How many of us get up in the morning and think, why, I cannot wait for an opportunity to show my wife mercy. You know, your wife calls you and says, I, mean, I overdraft, it's my fault. And you're saying, I'm so glad you called. I've been waiting all day for a chance just to show you mercy. <laughs> yeah, right. But that's what, see, we don't think like God thinks. <laughs> God is saying, look, you plant seeds of mercy. The other person does something wrong. That's your chance. That's your chance. And mercy, and the second thing is good deeds. I mean, do we start the day by thinking, how many good things can I do for this person? And I know what some of us are thinking right now, and I'm going to call you on it. We're thinking, I would if. Drop that. I mean, God is God, and this is God's word. God is saying, look, you plant seeds of mercy and good deeds. What kind of harvest do you reap? The word is righteousness, and for a lot of us, you know, that we're kind of freaked by that word. We, the moment we hear righteousness, we hear organ music, and we see stained glass. But we need to understand righteousness just means rightness. I mean, do you have a relationship right now, and you say, Mark, it's just, it's just wrong. Things are wrong. We fight too much. And God is saying, peacemakers do this. God says, peacemakers plant seeds of mercy and good deeds. And what do they get? They reap a harvest of rightness. Number three, when differences come up, stay on the subject. How many of you have discovered that fights wander? Have you ever been in a fight and just, it's, you know, it's become World War III and you're scratching your head trying to remember what exactly started this? Do, I, I'm not good at explaining this, but I'm going to take a crack at it. Do you know why that happens? Imagine a balance, if you will, or a scale in your mind. And in this, what we're, what we're going to weigh with this scale is we're going to weigh what the other person actually did wrong, and we're going to weigh our emotion. Now, the problem that we have is when somebody does something wrong to us, oftentimes our emotions and our anger and our hurt, they weigh heavier upon us than the deed that's actually done. If we were to communicate objectively how the other person wounded us, it, it just wouldn't match up with how hurt we feel or how angry we feel. For instance, let's just say that the person you love the most has done something wrong and makes you hurt and you're, you're afraid or you're, you're angry and the emotion is hot. Isn't it strange that we pick that moment to call names? You know, well, you know, you're just a spendthrift or, you know, you're a nut or you're a jerk or you're a flirt or you're lazy What's happening at that moment is we don't want to be objective. Because here's the thing. Most of us, if we would just stay on the subject and we, if we could say things that were objective and measurable for both people, we could say, you know, I know you didn't intend to do this, but let me just tell you how I felt at that moment. And it made me feel threatened or it made me feel hurt. 
Well, that's something that's, that's your emotion, and, and you're, you're saying something that's real. And most of the time, if we do that, the other person will listen to us. The reason why we don't tend to do that, number one, is it makes us come across looking vulnerable, and our pride won't let us do that. But mostly, you know, our emotions are down here, and if we were to be objective about what the other person did, it doesn't match up with our emotions. So we've got to say something that's so strong that it will match up with the hurt and the anger that we feel. Let me prove that. Have you ever been really mad at the person you love most and they did something that just made you really hurt? But at that moment, you couldn't tell them. Maybe they weren't there. And you wanted to. Man, if you could have just, if you could have talked to them at that moment, you'd have pulled back, not of a literal gun, but you'd have pulled back both hammers and fired simultaneously. But time passed and you cool off. And now all of a sudden you're thinking, I don't even know if that's big enough to even talk about. Now our emotions have come into balance with what was actually done. So number three is when you get into a conflict, stay on the subject. Number four, in the heat of the conflict, try this on. Remind yourself of something very good the other person has done for you. I got to tell you, this one has been such a huge help to me when I have an argument with Mary Alice because she has done a million kind things for me. And I've tried this through the years, and I got to tell you, it works like a charm. When you look at the other person, you know, you can say, well, I'm mad at you right now, but if you can remember good things that person has done for you, it will keep in context. Number five, remember that differences will be between the best of lovers, but fighting requires one thing. Fighting requires an enemy. And I believe one of the smartest things you can do in any relationship in your life, whether it's you and your wife or husband, you and your kids or your parents or friends, you just say from the very beginning, I refuse to let you be my enemy. You're not going to be my enemy. Somehow we're going to stay on both sides of this line. And number six, pray for your relationship. How many of us fight too much and yet we don't pray and ask God to bless our relationship? I'm going to take you to James one more time, and it will be through. James said, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have. You're willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours. You'll risk violence to get your hands on it. And I love the way the message asks. You, you wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? <laughs> you who are fighting with your wife all the time. Have you prayed for? Here's the thing. Why, do you, why would you scream at somebody you haven't prayed for? You say, my, heart, my, my, my husband is impossible. Have you prayed for him? Like James said, you, you wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? I know I haven't dealt with a source of conflict in all of our lives. Haven't even gotten close. And there's so much more that we could talk about. But I want to tell you something. If you will employ these six things, they'll be transformational. They'll be huge. Thanks for listening this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've had in your word and these awesome people who've come to, to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, starting with me, will help us to think seriously about being people of peace, of laying down our weapons and trusting you. 
I pray today that you would restore marriages that are frayed, that you would open up new lines of communication between parents and kids that have broken down, and restore friendships, Father, where conflicts pushed away people from us that we love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray for just one more minute. I said in the talk that God is the God of peace. And you know what God wants about you? God wants peace with you. It's our sin that puts distance between us and God. But God put his son on the cross to pay for your sin so your sin can be moved out of the way and God can be in a relationship with peace with you. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Do you feel sometimes that you and God are on opposite sides? Do you wonder how God feels about you? What if I told you this morning that God would do anything all the way up to giving his son so that you and he could have peace? Scripture tells us that if we're willing to accept God's free gift of salvation, if we're willing to just ask Jesus into our lives, that God would take away anything that stands between us and him, give us eternal life, and make us his children with unconditional love forever. Would you be open to asking for that today? Man, you could walk out of here having made the most important decision of your life. Ten million years from now, you'll be so glad you did. I mean, you wouldn't think of asking. Remember, that's what we just read a moment ago. Would you, would you ask? I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words, but these are words that ask God for a relationship and forgiveness and need eternal life. And if you're interested, you can pray it with me. And I'm going to pray it slowly so you can think about each line. Here we go. Pray it with me. Dear God, I know that I've sinned, but I believe you love me anyway. And I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. Today I'm asking you for that relationship. Forgiveness, eternal life, to be your child. Thank you for keeping your word to me. In Jesus' name, amen.